Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Are you glad you came to church? Come on, it's a good day. Great to, great to be here with you. Before we get into the message today, I want to give you a debt update. As we have been, um, really as the leadership here, the elders, us pastors, we really sense that God wanted um, us as a church to be out of debt in 2023. And I've told you before, you know, we said debt-free 2023. They're like, well, if you don't make it, we'll debt no more 2024. But I think we're going to make it. No, I know and believe that we're going to be making it. And so I just, I want to just give you a quick update where, you, where we are. I want to say thank you to all of you who have given. Also, all of you who have given over the years to help pay debt down throughout the years. You, all of us together are celebrating. But this is, this is where we are. In June, we were we, 3 million. July, we're down 2.8, August, 1.6, and September, we're down 1.4, and uh, last update, we're 1.3, and so um, because of things, not things, because of some money that's been given to it, and there has been a, um, a large commitment um, to be given as well, this is, this is our total where we are right now, right behind us, right here, boom, 242,000, that's what's remaining. Guys, this is incredible of what God is doing. And uh, so we're really excited for all that God is doing. As you would, as, as you would feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to give to this above your normal tithe, um, you can do that. Go to our website and that we would celebrate debt-free 2023. And, and as we step into 2024, we can truly just focus on what God's called us to do and have a great time doing it together as a church. And I'm excited um, for that. And then we're going to be planning a, a celebration in January for us on a Sunday to celebrate um, that we're believing. So we're going to celebrate our, um, that we're debt-free. And um, I think we'll probably have to take a loan out for that, but that's fine. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, just kidding. We, we won't do that. I promise you this. Uh, we're continuing our series on uh, Christ is King. And we asked the question, first off, is Jesus King? Is, is, does he have all authority in heaven, we go, yeah, he does. What about earth? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, this is after his resurrection. So through his death, burial, and resurrection, he purchased by his own blood, he took back the authority that belonged to Satan over the earth, and he took it back as Jesus, as the man, who is fully God and fully man. He took back stewardship for us to walk out, but he took all authority. So there's no realm on earth that doesn't belong to King Jesus. Amen? Now he does give us a free will and he does give us choice. And because he is king, we don't have to live under his kingship. Now there is consequences for not living under the kingship of Christ. We see that in our nation. We see that with families. We see that in the world. That there are consequences of not living under the kingship of Christ. And what, what does it mean then was the question we've asked to live under the kingship. It means that we would align our lives according to God's word of what, it, what he says in his words about how we are to live our personal lives as self-governing individuals. What does it look like for the church of Jesus Christ, our church, to be under the kingship of Christ? Meaning, we make decisions that are aligned with his word. Not aligned with our desires, but aligned with his desire of why the church exists. 
And there are things that as we read through Scripture and you go, oh, man, I don't know. I don't see that in my life. Lord, help me to align through your spirit with what that says. And from that, we begin to see God do great things in our lives. We also ask the question, what does it look like for family, this government of family? And these are, and we've chosen four areas of government that are articulated in the Scriptures that God gives a purpose of it. There's self. We have a self-governing choice. There's the government of church. There's the government of family. And I start next week with a civil, civil government. What does it mean for civil, civil government to live under the kingship of Christ, to bring glory to Christ through it? And what's our place in that as believers? And so we'll be looking at that. But we want to conclude this, this area of family today. Today I'm talking about this idea and this reality within a family of children. We've talked about the role of the covenant of marriage between one man, one woman in marriage, that God brings a marriage together. It says that what God brings together, speaking of marriage, let no man separate. So there's something powerful that happens when a family, when a man and a woman get married, what happens is God creates something that wasn't into something that is. He creates a new family. They go from being the, the Smiths and the Joneses, and if it was David Jones, they get married and they create something called the Joneses, and now there's there's two man, woman in marriage that are now something different. They're a, they're a new family. They're still individuals, but now they have a greater role. And so we've discovered that that is God that puts that covenant of marriage together. We talked about the role of the man according to the scriptures. How, do, how does a man give glory to Christ through his home as the husband, as the one who loves and protects and serves? How does the woman give glory to Christ within the home, within her role? And what are the benefits of that? So we've been looking at that. But today, we're going to look at parenting or look at children. And so this family that we've been looking at, the, the ordained community of God that he puts together, that he creates, he forms. And within a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, what happens is either children are placed in that family through an adoption or children are born into the family. But this is God's ordained community that is called family. There's a function. There's a purpose. And so the definition of what family is doesn't come from a textbook. It doesn't come from a civil government. So the government to determine what a family is or isn't is, is no, it doesn't hold any authority. It's like them voting together. We have voted that the sun will not rise tomorrow. Guess what's going to happen? The sun's rising. Why? Because God set this law of, of, of how the sun operates in place. So they can say, no, it's not going to rise. It's going to rise because God set it. The same way as if the government decides or votes that gravity doesn't exist, their vote has no bearing whatsoever after the vote of whether gravity exists or not. Now they can, they can celebrate, hey, we voted, we voted. Gravity doesn't exist anymore. And they can try by jumping off, a, off of a building and tweet about their freedom on the way down, but soon they will find that gravity exists. Because family is designed and created by God. He's the one who determines what family is. Family is created, it is sustained by God's word, and it's sustained by God alone. God loves family. And God loves family that, that wants to honor him and allow his word in, in their lives to be manifested in it. He made us to be children in his family. That's how much he loves family. He 
adopted us. Scripture says he adopted us into his family through our faith in Christ after we received salvation. And so God's heart loves children within family. Romans 8, 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Like God didn't have to adopt us, but he chose to. And he chose to, when he brought us into his family, we became a part of who he is. The inheritance that God, God possesses, we ourselves now are benefits. We benefit from that. And so today, I want to look at this idea of God's design for the raising of children. Ephesians 5.1 says this, be imitators of God as beloved children. God's word speaks to us as God's children to imitate him. And so when we're in a family and we, we become parents, we're also, we're called by God to imitate God. So just as we are to imitate God in our life, and he gives us the ability to do that through his spirit, when we get married and we have children that God puts in our family, we parent those children the same, in the same manner as God would parent us. We imitate God on how we parent our children. We don't go rogue and we don't do our own thing. We, again, to live under the kingship of Christ means to want to apply God's word and his ways to our life to reap the full benefit of what it means to be under his kingship. So God's word speaks to us that we are to imitate him as we parent. And the truth is this. Parents, we don't actually want our children imitating us if we're not imitating God. We actually don't. And here's the stark reality. Whether you're imitating God or not, your children are imitating you. Because they're children and God set them in our home. And so we as adults, we look to God in his word and, and know how to imitate him. But children look to us to know how to imitate God. And this is just the reality of it. This is the, actually the power and, and government of, of family. And so as parents, we're, we are the instrument of God for our children's salvation. We're not our children's salvation, thank God, because that would be terrible. We're not. Jesus is their salvation. But we, we are to be an instrument through our example and how we interact how we speak, how we worship God in our personal lives that turns, by our actions, it turns the hearts of children, of their souls and their minds towards the one that we're worshiping. So it's important that you understand as parents today that we can't save our children, okay? We can't save them. We are, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. None of us have reached Jesus' status. None of us are perfect, but we are, we are in, in progress. We're not looking for, for perfection. We're looking for progress. We're looking for what the Bible calls sanctification, that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're not there yet, but we're on the journey of, what it, of trying to walk out through God's spirit what it looks like to honor him in our lives. And so we want to worship God. And so as parents, we want to cultivate the hearts of our children to be softened and to turn towards God. So I want to give us some, some principles today regarding the home and what it means for as parents so that we would understand what is God's design for children in our home. Number one, the biblical environment of the home is full of grace. Why? Because our God is full of grace. 
How many here have benefited from God's grace on your life, right? Okay, all of us, right? Every one of us. So, as we look to God, we recognize His grace on our lives is what's brought transformation in our lives. So, as imitators of God, we want to have a home environment that has the grace of God that's present, that's full of grace. I mean, we, we see Adam and Eve. So, the question, like, what does grace look like? Well, we see Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam has a perfect wife. Eve has a perfect husband. They're in the perfect location, the perfect environment. They have fellowship with perfect God. They have, they have perfect vocation. Like they, they're doing what they were made to do, right? It's like they, they didn't need a self-health book that's like, hey, find out what you were created to do and go do it. They knew what they were created to do. They were living it out, fulfillment in their life. And when Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, the greatest retaliation or consequence of, of that sin was not actually placed upon Adam and Eve. The greatest consequence of their, of their failure didn't fall on them. God himself bore the greatest responsibility, that's called grace. And he put a plan together to pay the price for their sin and bring freedom to them. He bore the responsibility of undoing what their sin did. Yes, there were consequences for, for Adam and Eve and for humanity that we are still tasting today, but God himself through his grace and his love paid the most significant price for their sin, more than they could ever pay. There's the old song that he paid a price for a debt I could not pay. That's what he did. So as imitators of God, we also are to cultivate a home of grace. And a home full of grace is not a home void of, of standards. It's the, the, this idea that grace is like jello that just wobbles and has you know, no, really, no real impact. No, no. Grace has a backbone. Grace has a, has, a, has a determination. Grace has some action steps. And so when standards are broken in the home, the heaviest sacrifice that comes, the ones who bear the deepest weight emotionally, physically, mentally, sometimes financially, the ones who bear that weight and responsibility are the implementers and guardians of that grace in the family, which is the parents. If you've, if you've ever had children, you, you know this, that when your child stumbles or falls or, or screws up, you're, you're sitting there freaked out, concerned, trying to work all the, what we're going to do. And they're like, they're like, what, what's up? <laughs> but as parents, we are the guardians of God's grace. We're imitators of God. And so we are to implement God's grace in those situations and determine what that means. And we'll look further into that. So this idea that grace implemented in the home means that there are consequences. It means that there are standards. Grace is not this you get to do whatever you want and there's no consequences. That's actually not, that's actually not grace. The grace of God in our lives is the power to deliver us actually from sin because we can't do it ourselves. It's the same way within the home. And actually, if, if there is no, if, if, if there are no standards, if there are no consequences, in that kind of home, it's actually the opposite of loving your children. 
You, you actually hate your children if you do not apply consequences or standards in your home. A home of grace is a home that's about the shaping of a child's heart because you love them. It's not a, about an endless list of rules and consequences that, that have, have no consideration of the heart. It's all about behavior. So many Christian families, it's all about behavior. Many churches, it's all about behavior modification, not actual heart transformation. The, the parent that has grace present is concerned about the heart of the child, not the, not the behavior of the child. Now, we do know that the behavior of children is a, is a fruit from the root, which is their heart, yes. But that's your end goal is, I want the heart. That's why with us, when, when people give their lives to Jesus, they are transformed. Their lives are transformed. But there is a process that God is working on their heart. He's breaking things off of their heart that was there. He's softening things that have become hard. And he's opening their, their opportunity to be able to receive love. And it's a process. It's the same way within the Christian home. Parenting and raising of children always keeps the whole story in mind. So when you think about your children and you think about what they've done or not done, you are considering the, the big picture, the long game. It's not about the immediate infraction. It's about keeping your eye on the future harvest that will come through their life. It's the big picture of that child's future that you're thinking of. If you're always thinking about right here, right here, right now, then actually you're going to miss what God is doing and you're going to not shape the heart and you're just going to change their behaviors. Parenting and raising of children, is, it's much like farming. And so there's the work of you, you clear the fields, you plow it, you plant the seeds, you fertilize, you water. But then there's adjustments at time. Once the seed's in the ground and once you're still um, farming that or, or being over that field, there's the adjustment of caring for those seeds that have been planted in the water or planted in the soil and watered. And, it, and the caring of it shifts and changes, changes depends on the atmosphere, depending on the weather, depending on the influences, depending on um, how many birds are in the field trying to, to take the seeds up, depending on what's you want to transfer to the child, depending on what's being taught at school, what's being taught by their cousins to them, by their neighbors. Because the actions for us as parents is imitating God and how he parents us. He always keeps the big picture in mind, which is the harvest. There are, there are different, there's different applications to a child depending on what are the influences and what are the, what's the personality of that child. You can have two kids the same age, they can go out and play outside. One comes in covered head to toe in mud and dog poo. <laughs> this other one is just like totally clean. When it's bath time, how many know the dog poo one is gonna be in there a lot longer, right? Why? Because you, you're, you, you shift and change. You don't apply the same thing always, all the time. You look at the environment. You look at the interactions. You look at the influences. And then you parent according to that for the purpose of that child's heart. Another thing that's so important for us as parents, according to the scriptures as we're imitating God, that parenting is not about us as parents getting our needs met. It's not about us 
making them obey so that we feel better. It's about the shaping of their hearts to bring glory to Christ in their life. Because while they're in your home, that's your opportunity. But you want them to be able to leave your home and ultimately when they create their own family to build a home that's set on God's grace. My parents used to tell me all the time, our job is to make sure you succeed when you leave. And because of that, you should iron your own shirt. So my parents often had the big picture in mind. Were they perfect? No. Are any of us perfect? No. But it was, it's always this understanding of the harvest that's to come. Number two, standards in the home are for the child's future, not for the parent's temporary convenience. Our two kids, Seth and Ellie, for some reason, when Cheryl and I decide to go into the kitchen and do something, they, 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 used to, they used to do this. Sometimes they do it now, and they're 20 and almost 19, but that's okay. They used to come into the middle of the kitchen and want to have a full-blown wrestling match or soccer match or slam the ball in each other's face match while we're cooking right there in the kitchen, right? So it's like chaos. We're like, you have the whole house. What are you doing two feet from us? But it's, it'd be total chaos. And in those moments, yes, Part of me is like, I want you, for my own convenience, to get the heck out of the kitchen now, like right now. And sometimes I would chase them out of there or drag them out of there just to have some fun. But what was, that, what, what was the, the big picture? What was the, the motivation? Now, I, all, I, I, I wasn't perfect. I failed at my motivation often. But it was the bigger picture in mind, meaning this. The motivation wasn't about the inconvenience of them being there while we're trying to do something. The greater picture is what I wanted them to learn self-control when they were younger. I wanted them, I, I wanted them to know, listen, when, when you're in the middle of the kitchen and preparation's going on, you should have enough self-control to not attack each other because you don't know what's gonna happen. You need to be self-aware of your surroundings. The ultimate goal is the future harvest in their life, that they would grow and be self-controlled. When they went out into the world, they, they, they would think through their environment. They would actually know what's around them. They'd be self-aware of what's happening around them. That they would understand it's, it's what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in the particular di different atmospheres or environments they're in. So they would learn to be self-governing and be self-aware and to have self-control. It's the greater picture. Yes, some of it was, it was totally selfish and I, I can't take the screaming, get out of the kitchen. But the motivation, for the most part, was for their future. So the purpose of correction and standards in the home is to be for the child's good, not our good. That's called selfish parenting. We have to think of the big picture. Why? Well, Jason, I don't want to do that. Okay. But if you're going to imitate God, that's what he did. Everything about God's love and God's parenting is totally inconvenient to him. He loved us when we were enemies of him. Scripture says, while you were enemies of God, he sent his son for you. While you didn't want him, while you were rejecting him, while you were shaking your fist at him and putting your middle finger up at him, he's like, but I love you. And I'm gonna send my son for you. 
That was not convenient for him because his parenting style has your good in mind, not his convenience. Has your hope in mind, not his convenience. Has your future in mind. So the purpose of correction and standards in the home is for our child's good and God's purpose in their life. When we imitate God, when we do our best as parents to walk with God, the purposes of God are, are, will be worked out in our children's lives. But again, I remind you that the parent can't, you can't save your child. And just like God was the, was the perfect parent, his children still chose to rebel from him. But our job is to create an atmosphere that has the child's future in mind. So if our standards are for our own good, if they're all selfish, that's what's called legalism. That's what's called, I, I want you to tick off all of these rules and laws so that I can go, did you do it? Okay, you're a good person. Okay, good, you obeyed me, you did everything and you jumped through all the hoops, okay, good. Then, then that makes me feel like a good parent because you obeyed them. But how many know this, that there are people that know how to do the right thing for the wrong reasons? There are people, children are the same way. They know this, well, listen, I'm, I'm gonna jump through all these hoops so that they think I'm good, but my heart is far from God. How many know you can come and you can worship God and sing songs? You can worship him with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. Because parenting is about the heart. So, and those who have standards that are all for their own purpose and good are selfish. So in a home where standards and rules don't have the child's heart and future in mind is a home where many times children rebel against the long list of the laws that are presented to them because it's not about their heart. But on another, and in another reality, people or kids who grow up in homes that have a long list, many times when they leave, they abandon all standards in their life because of the home was focused on behavior and not the heart. Many times you'll have those later who become parents who maybe grew up in a legalistic home. They'll say something like this. You know, well, I just want my own child to work out for themselves. I don't want to impose my beliefs on my child. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's not parenting. The hearts of our children that God gives us are so crucial. But we don't, we don't impose ourself on them. We impose what we see God do on them. We apply how God loves us, serves us, takes care of us, disciplines us to our children. Many times when parents who grow up in a home, that's, everything's about pleasing dad or pleasing mom. If it's not about the shaping of hearts, what will happen is they pass on their own selfishness to their own child. If your parenting is all about you, guess what you're teaching your children? That life is all about them. Life is all about their convenience. Life is all about their emotions. Life is all, if, if parent, and kids are smart. 
If, if, they, if their whole life is about, is, is about catering to the emotional status of mom or dad, guess what? When they grow up, the people in their life, the purpose of the people in their life are going to be about catering to their emotions and what they feel in their life, which is the exact opposite. When they have children, they're, they're going to shape their children. Your job is to keep me happy. That is not how God interacts with us as a parent. A lot of, a lot of these, these folks who grow up in these types of legalistic homes, they abandon all foundational principles. They actually make the human the person who is God and sets the standard. So it's like, do whatever you feel, do whatever you want. These types of parents will, will give you a long list of why discipline doesn't work, why spanking doesn't work, but really it's an excuse to not do the hard work of parenting. Listen, there were, there were times, Cheryl and I, tears in our eyes, we go, man, this parenting thing is hard. It's hard. Because what I, what I want to do is just ignore it. But when I look to God, he's like, no, God is always there to shape my heart, to correct me, to love me when I need it, to discern what I'm needing at the time. And so that's the role of a parent as we imitate God. The motivation of leading our children to obey is for their future, not our immediate convenience. This is the example that we see from God. And it's there to be in a house of grace. Colossians 1-2 says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Colossians 3-20 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this, is ple for this pleases the Lord. So when you see that, you go, well, what if parents a jerk? That's a good question. That's why Christian parents should be committed to imitating God in their home. So you're not... So you're not forcing your child to obey a selfish demand that we would imitate God. And shaping the heart of the children and our families really matters to God. And their submissiveness to us can be motivated out of legalism or it can be also motivated out of a license to do whatever they want. They can, you just do whatever. But really we want our children we don't want them to be in a legalistic home. We don't want them to be in a, a home where they have a license to do whatever, whatever they want. We want, them, we want them to understand the law of liberty. And what that means that is this, is their choices, they have a choice. And their choices can give them a harvest in the future that will benefit them or will give them a harvest in the future will, that will hinder them. That's the law of liberty in the home. It's a home that has... Standards and consequences, but those consequences are applied from the nature of God. This matters so much to God, matters so much to God about the, the condition of the home and submissiveness to children, to, to, the, to the parents. It matters so much to God that he sets it as a requirement for church leadership, that church leadership would have submissive children. First Timothy 3 says this, he, speaking of um, one of the leaders in the church must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, you can fake it. I think we, there's, there's probably a lot of churches. I would say this. Much of the problems within churches, churches that struggle either financially or struggle with making poor doctrinal biblical decisions, or churches that are shaped towards the personality of the pastor or the desires of the pastor versus thinking about the future harvest and what does Jesus want and what, what's the heart of God. I think a lot of struggles within churches would be avoided. I think much of the difficulties in church today would be avoided if the choosing of a pastor and the ongoing leadership of a pastor is determined by the heart and submissiveness of his children that are in his home when they're little. I'm not saying that children won't push the limits, but how that man, how that parent responds while their child's pushing the limits should be a talking point regarding his leadership over the church. This matters to God. I think a lot of church leaders focus on the public behavior of their child. It's like, hey, we're going to church, you better act right. And so their children are heavenly on Sundays, but they are hellions Monday through Saturday. And everybody knows it. Children are creatures that bear the very image of God. But they're also sinners. And their nature from God of his image has not fully developed. They are affected by Adam's sin. Children are affected by Adam's sin just like all of us are. But the image of God has been established on them. And so we want to cultivate that image and God's purpose for them. And that's why we as parents imitate God in our parenting. Ephesians 6.4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What this means to us as parents and to our children is that we, that we, both, we both understand that our children have an old man and they have a new man. And they are in the process of putting on the new man, which is found in their salvation in Christ. Number three, the biblical home is familiar with discipline. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now, this doesn't mean the more you discipline your child, the more God's going to discipline you. That's not what God's saying here. What he's saying is that, is that your discipline, your disciplining of your child is, is more about us understanding our relationship also with God's discipline towards us. Discipline is not fun, and everybody wants to avoid it. But the wise man actually endures discipline because he knows it produces more wisdom. So if we're imitating God, and God, is, God disciplines us, then, then, then our homes should be familiar with discipline. Now, we don't discipline our children to raise good behaving children or moral children. That's the result. But the ultimate goal is to bring glory to Christ through the raising of our children and to imitate God's grace and his kindness, but his strength in our own lives. We raise our children through biblical standards because we are to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this helps shape their hearts 
And so we want to, as parents, we want to be used by God to lead our children to experience the same deliverance that we've experienced through Jesus. And what that means is, is that the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus is the foundation for everything we do as parents. And we apply the grace of God, but we also apply the standards of God. And we also apply discipline when those things aren't met. But we always do it in the spirit and the nature of God. So what this passage in Deuteronomy says is that the Lord has a relationship with us in the same manner that, a, that the father has a relationship with his son. So as godly parents, we discipline our children in the manner in which God would discipline us. I mean, this is, this is a, a tall order because you're like, oh man, like, I'm so far from like, being like God. But it's to be what we look to and we grow and we repent to our children when we fail. And we, we do things in a humble spirit, but we don't back down because we are shaping a future harvest in this child. And we're impressing the kingdom of God on this child. And we're raising this child in a way that they will be able to prosper when they leave. So for us, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we received salvation. We were justified by God. In other words, we were set into his family. But after we were set into his family, there were still things God needed to do in us. So when God gave his children, he set a child in our family. They belong. For me, you're a king. That's who you are. But because of the old man, there are things that need to be shaped just like us. When we were set into God's family, there were still some things God needed to heal in us. He needed to set us free from. He needed to minister to us. He needed to massage things in our life so that we could actually see the bigger picture and then make decisions according to it. And he does that by affirming to us who we are in him, affirming to us, you're my son. I know you may have messed up, but that doesn't change. You are in my family. You don't go from being in my family, out of my family, depend on your, your behavior. No, no, you are in my family. I marked you with the blood of my own son. You belong with me. You are in my home. Okay, you screwed up. Let's walk that out. Same way in our home. In any physical parenting home, in, in, our, in our families, our children have been given to us. Their behavior doesn't determine whether they belong to us or not. There are consequences, but the goal is this. You belong. You, are, you belong to this family. Now, we want to work in sanctification in your life, that you would be shaped into the image of Jesus. And that's what parents get to do. Hebrews 12 says this, speaking about imitating God in our parenting. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord, now look at this, disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. A family or parents who don't discipline their children in the manner in which God disciplines them is a family that actually isn't claiming their own children. God says in his word, his discipline towards us is proof that we're his children. 
So if you feel like you're being disciplined from God, meaning this, you're, you're struggling with some things in your life and you're like, man, I, I feel conviction of God and I realize, man, this shouldn't be. And you feel that, you feel that weight of God's discipline in your life. What that means is that is proof that you belong to him. If you're struggling with sin today and you're like, man, why, why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still dealing with this? And it's, it's a struggle within you. That struggle is a proof that you actually belong to God. Because if you didn't belong to God, you wouldn't care if you were sinning and doing something that God does, isn't best for your life. You'd be like, I don't care. But because you belong to him, you are, you are grieved by his spirit. That's proof. God's saying over you, hey, son, hey, daughter, you belong to me. Now let's deal with this in your life. And that should be an encouragement maybe to some of you today who think your struggle with sin is proof you don't belong to God. No, no, your struggle with sin is proof you do belong to God. That's good. You should say, man, that was really good. I'm just saying. But it's, it's, we, you need to understand that we are, by the struggle, by his discipline, it is proof to you. God's like, I love you. Let's walk this out together. Because he's your father. So God says in his word, his discipline is proof that we're his children. Now, discipline is painful, Okay. But not everything that is painful is discipline. We need to understand that. Just like dogs have four legs. Not everything that has four legs is a dog. Right? So what does discipline mean? It means that we are, we are discipling our children in the manner in which God disciples us. Discipline. So lessons from God about discipline. We'll move quickly through this. Number one, discipline is not punishment. Listen, Jesus doesn't punish us. God doesn't punish us. Jesus took, according to Isaiah 53, Jesus took the punishment that I deserved upon himself. So we need to understand the difference. Discipline has correction in view. Discipline has the future in view. But punishment has retribution and justice in view. Jesus paid the, the, the price. The punishment I deserved. The retribution I deserved. The death I deserved. The justice of God towards, my, my, towards sin that had captured my life. Jesus paid the punishment. God sent his son to pay the punishment for me. So as, as parents, we don't punish our children. We discipline them. Hebrews 12.10 says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. And I could, I'll say amen to that. I remember those moments, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, in the home is what, where God designed discipline to happen. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a civil world where the government says, how about this? I'll take care of discipline. But what they're doing is actually punishing Rebellion. They're called penitentiaries. They're called penitentiaries because they're supposed to become penitent. But actually, it's, they, they, they have 
There's justice that happens. The government, the, the, the civil government is not ordained by God to discipline. According to Romans 13, they're ordained by God to bring justice to a crime. So they swing a sword. The family swings the rod of discipline. And discipline is about correction. And it's correcting the heart. Unfortunately, we do live in a world where civil government, especially in the UK, when we lived in the UK, it was like, you, your children will be taken away from you if you swat them on the rear end. And so, last time I was there, someone made a joke. They said, well, hey, listen, we can't, we can't spank our kids that way. And I'm not saying spanking is the only way to discipline, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But when the, when the civil government takes on the, the responsibility of the family, what we get is our current society. What we get is, is, is men who, who act like boys, women who, who, who lack value in their life and are just rebellious because, because they're like, oh, I, the, their families were like, I guess, I guess the legal system will, will discipline my child. No, that's not what the legal system is designed to do. They cannot discipline your, your children. They can bring justice when they, when they commit a crime, but the family it was ordained and called by God to correct the heart of people so that there's a future harvest that will benefit their life. What we're seeing today is the failure of parents actually disciplining their children with their future in mind. Spanking and disciplining of your children and correcting attitudes is, is disciplinary. It's not, it's not punitive. And the whole part of it is so that you can move that child and get them to a certain place that they go, thank you for this. I didn't thank my parents until I was like 19. Then I was like, hey, thank you for disciplining me. Because the people I was around were just, they had no self-awareness of their own decisions. They had no understanding there were consequences for stupid things you do. And then I was seeing the consequences of their stupidity be like, I'm glad I had half a brain to not do that. Why? Oh, because my parents disciplined me in the manner in which God disciplined them. And it produced actually responsibility, self-awareness, self-control, and joy, and a right understanding of life in my life. Number two, lessons from God about discipline. Discipline is for correction. So when someone has messed up, and the Bible tells us that, okay, how, how, do, how do we correct? So if we're supposed to discipline our children, okay, well, then how, how do I do that? Well, when God sets a child in your home, you also need to interact with them like they belong to God's family. So Galatians 6.1 speaks to how you do this. He said, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person What's that word? Gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So this is, this is us understanding we're to treat other children like they're our brothers and sisters. So when, you're, when you are emotionally motivated to smack your child around because of your anger, that is not discipline the biblical way. That's actually the opposite. Meaning that your motivation 
is not by God's spirit. It's by anger, it's by passion, it stretches your, your nerves. You're disciplining from your own brokenness and your own flesh. And God doesn't do that towards us. He does it gently. When you're disciplining because your pride was hurt, because your child disregarded what you said, and your reaction is to, is to stick it to them, regardless of whatever it is, that is not biblical discipline. That's reactionary, fleshly punishment. And really, it's punishment because they hurt your pride. That is not what God, how God responds to us. So it's to understand that when we're disciplining, we're actually being tempted. You're tempted to do it selfishly, or you're tempted to die to yourself and do it godly for the future of that precious child. Godly discipline is about restoring fellowship, and it's anchored in God's grace. Godly discipline removes the number of, of offenses from the list. It doesn't add to the meaning. If you discipline out of your own flesh, out of your own anger, when you do that, you actually add things, infractions to the list by your own behavior. But godly discipline removes them from the child. Godly discipline restores the child back into fellowship with you completely. And, and godly discipline from a parent reminds this child, hey, listen, 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 you messed up, but that's not who you are. Come on, you're better than that. That's not who you are. If you call them to a higher standard through your discipline and you remove that infraction. You take that infraction upon yourself as a parent. And we're like, now listen, I forgive you, right? You're sorry, I'm sorry, I forgive you, okay? Right, come on, give me a hug. And then, come on, let's, let's go hang out. And you don't bring it up again. It, because godly discipline removes the infraction. It doesn't keep it over, over their head. Okay, but I'll be watching you, you stinker. I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be looking out for you because you're a failure. You're probably going to do it again. That adds things to the list that you need to repent from now. Godly discipline removes things from the list and restores the person back to full fellowship within the family. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. There's our model again, be imitators of God. One of the things that was so important in our home, we had a rule that we would never discipline when we're angry. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get angry. So, we understood our, the discipline of our children should never be a way for me to express my frustration or to prove something to them. But when discipline was, was, was enacted, it was, it was to weed out the bad seed so that our children could reap from the harvest of the good seed. Proverbs 23 says this, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. That's why I said earlier, parents who were like, I'll just let my child do whatever. I don't want to put any, I don't want to put any restrictions on their life. What they're doing is they're preparing their child for death. They're cultivating death on their life. But again, 
This comes to the place of our nature and our spirit is to be like God's. We're not talking about child abuse. That is sin. We're talking about appropriate discipline for the future of the child. Last one, discipline is love. Discipline is love. Discipline reveals that you love them. And so for us as parents in this room, I promise you, we have failed God. We have failed what we were called to do. But I promise you this, we serve a God who is gracious and kind and can help us and can restore to us and can alleviate from us this, this feeling of guilt or condemnation. Like every one of us who has parents, we, we've failed in areas. We've disciplined out of frustration. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God disciplines us and says, hey, I, I want to restore that to you. I, I want to I use this as, a, as something that you can restore your relationship with your child. All of us here have beliefs that actually aren't, aren't biblical. And so we're to look to God and say, God, will you, will you help me to imitate you and the raising of our children? And then also, maybe if your children are grown, maybe it's a phone call. Say, hey, listen, I didn't always discipline you in the right spirit. And I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me. This isn't about laying your pride aside. This isn't about your, listen, your position in, the, in, your, in your home with children is to serve them like Christ serves us. That God would want to restore some things. And maybe even by that phone call, you are helping prepare them for the harvest of their children. That God is the God that meets us. And so we need to start thinking about the future more. We need to stop being obsessed with our time, our generation, what we want. We need to stop being obsessed about, you know, but you never know, Jesus, Jesus is gonna come back, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do everything in my generation and actually not think about our children's children? That's selfish. God's called us, the Bible says a, a godly man prepares an inheritance for his children's children. How much more in our own community, in our own church, that we need to start thinking about our children's children. When you're not here, when no one knows your name, and your blessing for what you sowed into the future actually was about, about what God gave you in heaven, not about what you got to accomplish on earth. It's time that we play the long game as a church the most powerful place to change the world begins in the family. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are moving in our lives. Lord, thank you for the challenge in this series that has gotten under our hood, got up in our grill, has loved us to the place of us saying, God, I want to be more like that. Will you help me? Lord, we want to pray for the children who call this, this place their home. God, we want to ask you that you would bless them, that you would restore to them that which has been lost through their own foolishness at times, towards our foolishness. 
or by our foolishness. God, we ask you that you would bless our children, you'd prosper them, you'd lead them. That God, that you would set in them something beautiful and their hearts would be softened to know you that they would raise godly families who would raise godly families who would raise godly families. And that God, that we would carry out your kingdom on this earth and we would demonstrate what it means to live under the kingship of Christ. And the blessing and outflow of our families would point to a good God who never left us nor forsaked us, who never turned his back on us, that we could say it's all because of you, God. Lord, we pray today that parents who are here, who maybe this message convicted them, God, may we respond in humility out of that conviction. May we repent to our children where it's needed. And may we apply what we see you doing in our lives to our own children. God, thank you for all that you've done in us and through us. May we honor you with our life. And may we play the long game and believe that we will see a transformed world around us through the little steps of obedience that start in our own families. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If we can, let's all stand. I'll be honored to pray for you today. I'd like to pray God's blessing over your life and I'm grateful that I get to teach God's word to you and, and be part of your church. If you can, you just lift your hands to receive from God today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you bless your people, that you bring increase to their life, that you prosper them, that you'd lead them, that you'd heal them, that you'd restore to them everything the enemy has stolen from them. That God, I ask you today that you would reset areas of thinking in our minds about ourselves and about others. That God, that we could walk and the harvest you have for us as we leave here. May we leave knowing that we're to be a light in the midst of darkness. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.